and welcome to Common Talkers, where comics is always the top of our discussion. My name is Brandon. I'm Mary. And I'm Bryce. And today we continue on with our fantastic, the amazing Spider-Man month we're continuing on at this Spectacular. Point. Yeah, spectacular, absolutely. The Superior Spider-Man month, come on now, all this stuff. Um, today we're actually doing something we haven't done for a while because we kind of messed it with our museum segment, but we're gonna bring it back for this. Um, we're gonna bring back a top five and we're gonna go over our top five stories or runs of Spider-Man. Rules are simple. Could be any Spider-Verse character whatsoever. You don't have to stick with Peter. You could go to Miles. You could go to Gwen, Noir. If you want to really get crazy and go 2099, go right ahead. We're here to listen. Even though I don't think anybody here is going to choose a 2099 story. And Mary's already shaking. Uh, Mary, Mary seems like she would put him on her list. Yeah. I did not. I promise you that. <laughs> so. The goal is simple. We're going to share our stories of what we love about Spider-Man. There might be overlaps. We're going to go over our honorable mentions, and then we're going to go over our number ones. So as always, our lists are personal. These are not an overall list. So please let us know in those comments. What are your some of your favorite Spider-Man stories? And please, if you love 2099 again, please let us know. We want to know what your feelings are about 2099. All right, <laughs> We're going to start with you to start this off. What's your number five? And I swear if it's 2099, it's going to have a like a deja vu. He is moment. not on my list. Yeah, yeah, you want me to tell you why I said that? Because it's going to have like a deja vu moment when we did Ant-Man month where you had Eric O'Grady's irredeemable. <laughs> Listen, Eric O'Grady is different. <laughs> but no, no, my top five is actually an actually very good comic. Um, this is actually the first Spider-Man comic I ever read. Um, this was recommended to me by my very dear friend, John, who is one of the biggest Spider-Man fans I know, aside from two of my cousins. <laughs> and this is Craven's Last Hunt from The Web of Spider-Man. Um, so it's that arc of The Web of Spider-Man, which is written by J.M. Davitais. Um, I will admit right now, it is my number two. I debated where to put it. I needed it on there somewhere, but there were some other ones that either introduced or expanded upon characters that I really, really love that I just wanted to push a little bit higher. And I do have another J.M. DeMatteis story in my top five. Um, so I had to put Craven's Last Hunt somewhere. <laughs> um, I, I love stories with a hunting motif. Um, I'm predictable. And... Craven is one of my favorite Spider-Man villains of all time. Um, and I love when we get to see him be so sinister. Um, and mm. Demetrius really goes over that so well in, in this storyline. And Bryce needs to read it. I will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you that. Peer pressure. <laughs> um, I love Craven. Um easily in my top five uh spidey villains just because he's i think he's cool he's terrifying but i think he's cool <laughs> um i kind of love villains on their own that sort of inspire that much dread mm -hmm. um again i'm a sucker for a hunting motif <laughs> um it's my thing i'm super predictable um 
And I just really love to um, Damon Tyus's characterization in this story, especially it was the first Spidey I ever read, but then I went and I read a bunch of other Spider-Man comics and I kept coming back to um, Damon Tyus's storytelling and just feeling very, I'm not sure how to word it, like his characterization just lined up so well with who I feel that Peter Parker is and sort of how I feel he approaches these situations. Um, and also, I just really like his Craven. I think he does a fantastic job. Um, easily one of the better, one of the best Spider-Man stories I've ever read. Like, And like, I was very lucky for that to be my first. Like I said, I have, this was my number two. And this was actually a little bit after reading into my first comics, which we'll get to later with Spider-Man. Um that I got into this comic and of course if anybody knows no this is the time frame that Spider-Man has the Venom symbiote as the costume and my gosh what one of my favorite things I love the internal monologues of Craven you don't see that very often and that whole story is not so much focused even on Peter it's focused on Craven and that's what makes it so unique and I and haunting I, yeah because, yeah, there's the way it ends, fans. We're not going to say how. We want you to go read it. But it is very disturbing. So, and, and the art, the art, I forgot to mention the art, the way that the colors that they use and the tones and the shading just add to, like, this eerie feeling. Um, it, it It's so good. The whole thing is just so good. <laughs> I, I don't want to even want to explain anymore. I think Mary did a really great job in explaining it. But... It, it it is a really great Craven story. Um, it's a that... great Craven story, and I think what's cool about it because it does focus so much on Craven is that you're not so much in Peter's mind; you're more getting to watch him react. And I think getting to see Peter Parker from the outside is one of those rare moments where you really sort of get to see Peter um, without the benefit of knowing his internal monologue. Yeah, like one of the most disturbing scenes from the whole comic, because I'm going to talk about it too a little bit because of the fact being this is my number two, um, is the disturbing scene where you see Craven crouched, covered by spiders, and starts eating them. And the thing of being, he's now one with his enemy. Now he can sit here and face off Spider-Man. But something unique happens too, and this is something I didn't like about the comics, he goes in with a task force. Usually yeah, it didn't... goes by himself. Yeah, that was a little odd. Um, it's, again, I didn't realize that when I first read it. And then going back, I was like, huh. But, you know, it was just so well written that I wasn't going to complain about it. Yeah, it, it was something we were willing to pass up. Uh, but how brutal he is with Peter at that point in time, because he wants to redeem himself to aim or to gain that honorable hunt back in him. And how far he'll go to do it. It's just amazing to see it. Um, but yeah, fans, go read Craven's Last Hunt. It is amazing. It, it really is. Um, so Bryce, I think we've talked enough about that. Let's go to your number five. And if it's twenty ninety nine, I swear I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so twenty ninety nine is actually my number two. Uh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fans, this might be our last podcast. No, I'm just messing. <laughs> uh, so... My number five, and this is uh, just going into spoilers, this is not the only comic with this theme that you will see on my list, but my number five 
is the death of Captain Stacy from Amazing Spider-Man issues 88 to 92 by Stan Lee, John Romita, and I want to say Gil Kane. This was the first time we've really seen a major death in the Spider-Man supporting cast. Um, obviously setting up for much worse things to come down the road, but you know, and this was later in Stanley's run too. He had really gotten into the groove of things. He really established who Spider-Man, who Peter Parker and his supporting cast was. And this was somebody close to Peter. You know, this was his girlfriend's father, also captain of the NYPD. And the way it affected not only Peter or Spider-Man as a hero, but Peter and Gwen's relationship, because Gwen blamed Spider-Man for her father's death. Gwen hated Spider-Man because of her father's death, but she still confided in Peter. And it just really created this conflict of, oh, my girlfriend loves me, but she hates me and doesn't even know she hates me because she thinks I'm responsible for her father's death when I did everything I could. And when you read it in the mindset of today, it very much is a precursor for what is to come. But I still think, especially the Doc Ock bit leading up to that and yeah, everything surrounding that, it really stands well on its own and is one of the best stories that I've read from the Stanley run. You, you know you bring up a good point too, but you also, like this one is a single issue and at this point, the death of Gwen, or um, Captain Stacy, you know what's going to happen at the end of the book. But you realize one of the major things in that is he always knew who Spider-Man was. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. No, I can't believe Yeah. That was one of the biggest things right there is when he dropped that he knew who he was this whole time. And Peter still having the mask on is shocked to believe it. Oh, yeah. It affects him the rest of his life. That's why I said it's that's such a great story. Unfortunately, it didn't even make my list. It didn't even make my honorable list. But it's such an important issue in Spider-Man history, period. Like, I would say even more than Gwen, because, like, Gwen's death is tragic, and it does affect him. But when you really think about what, it's like you said, it's a precursor. So it's kind of telling you what's about to go down without telling you. And also, too, like, Gwen's death is more about like inspiring a more short-term reaction in Peter whereas Captain Stacy's death is more a long-term greater storytelling device as opposed yeah. to just we're going to kill off his girlfriend <laughs> Captain, Captain Stacy was the most impact the death of Captain Stacy was probably one of if not the most impactful event to happen to Peter since Uncle Ben yeah yes I agree I think it's been the most impactful since Uncle Ben's death. Um, I don't even think it's now. Obviously, Gwen Gwen has been made more impactful retrospectively, right? Yes, retrospectively, but initially it was just fridging. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't even done all that. I thought well. about that. Oh my gosh, I'm glad I'm not the only one that saw that. And yeah, I will say, 
the death of Gwen Stacy and the death of Green Goblin did make my list. But it was Frigid. Yeah. Way before Alex and Major Force. Even if I'm not 100%, I don't agree with Gail Simone on a lot of things and necessarily calling Alex Ridging is one of those because, and this isn't a DC podcast, but okay. <laughs> episode. Hashtag change it to bridging. I would, yeah. Because Alex, her death is not so much about Kyle, but about the fact that she was supposed to be the lantern. Mm-hmm. And she refused to give up Kyle. It's about her as a character as opposed to like Bettering Kyle, yeah. But that, that, that's neither here nor there. I, I don't respect Gail Simone. <laughs> oh, no, that's a great way to pitch it, Bryce. I think you did a really good job on that end. So we're going to go to my number five, and it's two cons. Unacceptable. Whatever. You know what? <laughs> just like I told you during the Spider-Man Museum, get over it. You know, there's nothing you can do about this. <laughs> but the reason I have these two tied is because it shows how important Peter is. Now, the first one I'm going to go over is the kid who collected or collects Spider-Man. This is by far one of the most saddest stories to ever come across. Yeah, even even Bryce knows he's already having a box of tissues ready to go. <laughs> it, it, it is tragic. And here's the basis of the story. Um, Tim Harrison, um, who is probably one of the biggest fans of Spider-Man. Um, if you if you guys have watched Spider-Man animated series, they do adapt it, but not with the same precautions as the story tells. Um, kid has pretty much collected everything, taking pictures, everything about him. And Spider-Man kind of tells him his story. He tells him all about what's happened in his life. Um, again, this is, of course, Amazing Spider-Man 248, 1984. But by God, when you find out this kid's dying of leukemia and he only has a few weeks to live, Peter reveals his identity to him to show that he's also human. But this is why I love the story so much, too, is that Peter has to realize that kids look up to him because they inspired to be somebody like him and that he has to be willing to accept that and that some kids don't make it to this age. How I talked about Shazam Power of Hope, this is Spider-Man's Power of Hope. This is his story to show that kids don't always make it to that age. And it's important for him to be that inspiration for kids to be able to move on and live on, give them that motivation. But by God, if you don't have a box of tissues when you're reading this, you better go get some because it is very impactful. Uh, My second one, Bryce should know this one and so did Mary. It's a Stanley comic. Now, for any fans who love the original trilogy with Tobey Maguire in it, the second movie was highly influenced off this comic. Um, I am <laughs> with Spider-Man no more. Um, this, again, a lot of people don't think this is not something that how Peter affects others, but it's how Spider-Man affects others. The fact being, this is where you get the iconic scene of Spider-Man's suit in the trash can after he gets up the mantle of it because he feels that nobody appreciates and no respect to him whatsoever for what he does. 
and it's affecting his personal life. It's affecting everything near and close to him that he decides to give up the mantle. Now, while still I love this one, this is the first appearance of Kingpin, of course. But even then, you can't get the great storytelling. You can't get this great storytelling without Stanley behind those pencils and the art by John Romita Sr. It is amazing to see this story come into play. It's showing you that actually what a, one of my favorite scenes is you do get to see how the world reacts with Spider-Man's retirement. And the fact that J. Jonah Jameson, leave it to him to boast about it. But you see that even though there's people who hate Spider-Man and what he does, there are that many people who love him. And the fact being that Spider-Man can change things. You know, so it's a sense of, and crime escalated at this point in time. The Kingpin comes into play a little bit more. It's just a fantastic story from beginning to end. If you guys want to read this, this is, of course, Amazing Spider-Man number 50 to 52, released from April 1967 to June 1967. Um, but this is such a great episode or a great story to read. I almost said episode there. Um, but the fact being, too, that J. Jonah Jameson saved by Spider-Man at the end of that little arc. The one man who boasted about being gone is now being saved by him. This is what makes the story unique. It's what makes the story so favorable. I was so happy when they did adapt this story for the second Spider-Man movie ever made with Doc Ock. It's just one of those powerful stories that you can't miss on this list. So yeah, so this is my number five. So I'm going to jump to Mary to give her number four so my number four is a little odd i don't really see this one recommended super super often um this is the amazing spider-man 2018 by nick spencer oh you were gonna say 2099 <laughs> no <laughs> no he's not on my list and i, I don't know how well how much i believe that <laughs> rude and um, I liked this one, and one of the reasons I really enjoy this one is because we had sort of entered, I like it a little bit more in context, I guess, um, is that we had sort of entered this era where Spider-Man was like in charge of this massive corporation, um, and we had kind of been removed from this idea of the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, Peter had sort of been thrust into other priorities and other responsibilities that didn't necessarily align with the Spider-Man we know and love in the Peter Parker that we know him to be and what spider the um amazing spider-man 2018 did is it really brought spidey back to those basics um it involved peter giving up this corporation and it involved him sort of returning to the street level figuring out who he is as spider-man and returning to his roots which is something that i really enjoyed um of course i'm a green arrow fan i love it when people give up corporations um <laughs> One of my one of my favorite story elements, um, and I love street level heroes. So this sort of storyline was kind of tailored to me, um, and it was just a lot of good fun to read. It was I always enjoy it when writers take a look at the state a character has been in and goes, "Hmm, never mind all that. I'm going to fix it." Um, I love it when they do that. Um, I love it when they bring characters back to who they are, and I think. We're going to Bryce now for his number four. Yeah, uh, my number four is going to be a 
quite recent addition to the Spider-Man mythos, and that is Spider-Man Life Story by Chip Zdarsky and Mark Bagley. This is basically a crash course to Peter Parker. If you've never, like, if you've never read Peter Parker, this was one of my first Spider-Man stories. Death of Captain Stacy was my first, but Life Story pretty much came immediately after. Started the Death of Captain Stacy? Yeah. <laughs> and, that, yeah, I mean, life, life Story, Peter Parker ages in real time. Each issue represents a decade, so you have the 60s all the way through the 2010s. You get the all the major events, all the clones, all of the alternate universes, or at least Miles, who also ages in real time. And it's just a really unique take that is a blast to read. And I'm so glad that I got to experience it when I did. <laughs> it just it's one of those stories. I don't know how to explain it other than that. It pretty much covers Spider-Man's entire history as, like, footnotes. That's been on my to-read list for, like, at least a year. <laughs> it is It is absolutely incredible. There are some things that I wish would go over more, some things I wish it would cover less, but that's just personal preferences. Like, if you just look at it as a pure Spider-Man story... Zadarsky is probably the best modern Spider-Man writer we've gotten in the past decade, and he really shows it. Mark Bagley, you know, he did Ultimate Spider-Man. He came back to do this, uh, I want to say it was six issues in an annual, and the annual was all about J. Jonah Jameson in this life story universe, so you had the real-time progression of J. Jonah Jameson. Mm-hmm who, spoilers, is my favorite member of Spider-Man's supporting cast. I can see that. It just, I, and I think it was that annual that made me such a J. Jonah fan. Like, again, I, I cannot praise that book enough without just repeating myself, and I will, I will save you guys all that trouble. <laughs> okay, okay, but like, J. Jonah Jameson book, a la the um Perry White and um Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen books from DC when. <laughs> that would be fantastic. <laughs> you just blew my mind. I'm sorry. I'm I'm down. Marvel, give me a Jonah miniseries. Yeah, please. We want it. Hey, well, wait a minute. What was it? You what I love too about Jameson too is we get the backstory, not the backstory, we get to see him kind of younger. And Marvels, which I know is an Elseworlds story, but it kind of gives you the big highlights of his career, too. So I enjoy that a little bit. But I'll get to Jane Jonas Amison later because I do have a pick on my list that's around him somewhat, too. Um, my number four is a personal favorite. Now, this might, might be a lot of people's favorites, and people I know are going to comment, why did you put this higher than Spider-Man No More? This is an alternate spider I'm going with Spider-Man Noir's first four issues. Why did you put that over Spider-Man No More? <laughs> like I like the story. It 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 is something so different that you don't see. And I'm sorry, yeah, the Noir series wasn't all that great, fans. I'm telling you. Like you had X-Men, you had Luke Cage, uh Wolverine, I think, had a solo one, if I'm not mistaken. There was a couple of them. 
but Spider-Man is what top-notch that series. Everything else was just complete garbage. Spider-Man really hit it off. And like so I, it was the ultimate universe. Yeah. So but like I said, we'll get back to that later. Um this story sets Peter back in the 1930s. Um, for any fans that want to check out history stuff through comics, go check us, Mary and I, as we do the history through comics segments on YouTube. Um, we're going through 12 right now, but one day hopefully we'll get to Spider-Man the War. Because this is set during the 1930s Great Depression. Um, this is one of my favorite Sinister Six teams that's there fighting off against them. It's kind of a unique twist on his origin story a little bit. Ben Yurik's part of his life a little bit more, but for sometimes the wrong reasons. But it's such a fun story. Um, his first four issues, of course, cover his origin stories. And of course, the first time he um, encountered the Enforcers, which is pretty much the Sinister Six at this point in time. It's such a great story. Um, he's one of my favorite Spider alternate Spider-Mans, period, because of the fact being that he not only just goes up against villains, he goes up against crooked cops, corrupt politicians. He's just a racket. He, he fights against racketeering a lot, and I love it. It's one of my favorite comics, one of my favorite characters. Um, so yeah, I want a Spider-Man Noir. I know a lot of people are going to be like, well, why not other runs? I, I got other runs, my honorables, but this has just been a fun read. I could sit there and read this over and over again. Fans, I would recommend you guys go get the ultimate collect or the complete collection of them. Check them out. He's actually really unique to walk, to read and enjoy. Um, so yeah, I'm going to turn the mic back over to Mary to give her number three. So um, I think Brandon's going to be very pleased with this one. Um, and I am looking at Ultimate Comics Spider-Man 2011 by Brian Michael Bendis. Yeah. Um, because of Miles. Yes. Um, I feel like Brandon's already sort of talked about this one just <laughs> so much. Um, but you can't, you cannot go wrong with Miles Morales. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. You, you just can't. He's great. I love that kid. <laughs> I don't, I know. Like, I have, I have a number one that involves him with this series, but I got something a little bit more than that. So I can't talk about it right now. I want to wait. So tell us a little bit, why do you like this story? Why is it at number three? Oh gosh, it's like, it's sort of a bit of like Miles's introduction. It's really what gets him going. And Miles, I think, is one of the best introductions to Spider-Man lore that we've had in the last 20 years. Um, I think he's such a refreshing take on Spider-Man. Um, I think he sort of encapsulates the changing face of New York City in a lot of ways. And that he, as Spider-Man, has different challenges to Peter Parker that make him really compelling. Um, and of course, a lot of this isn't just so much about this 2011 run by Bendis, but it's about Miles in general. But like the introduction of Miles to me is such a landmark moment. Um, I would have been remiss to not have it on my list. Um, but I've toyed with having this as my number two. Um, but I like my number two where it is. <laughs> my list my list does not make sense in order, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I'm not, we've talked before how I'm not always the biggest fan of Bendis. 
Um, yes. But his Spider-Man work is one of those exceptions to the rule. Um, when Bendis is good, he's great. And this is one of those moments. I love the art as well. Um, it's just incredibly done. It's it's just good. Um, please just read it. Um, if you like, if you like Miles from the the Spider Verse movie, please read his comics. He is a delight, yeah, and the movies adapt him very well. Yeah. We can't say that often, but he's done so well in the Spider Verse movie. Um, you will actually find that Miles within the pages of Spider Man comics. Please pick them up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm going to save my thoughts later because it is higher up on my list, but at this point, you guys already know what my number two is, so you guys are probably already know where that's going. Um, but we're going to turn to Bryce for number three. So my number three, and I was actually going back and forth with, do I want my number three to be my number two, my number two to be my number three, and vice versa. Like, And I think I, I've settled on my number three going back to a similar theme from earlier being the death of Gwen Stacy slash the, the death of Norman Osborn. In Amazing Spider-Man number 121 and 122, written by Jerry Conway, art by Gil Kane. And I actually prefer the Green Goblin issue over the Gwen Stacy issue. I, can. I just, I, I love not only what it did for Peter's character, yes, you could argue that Gwen Stacy's death is fridging, and I, me and Mary have already established that we do to an extent, or probably to a larger extent than me, but it did do immensely great things for Peter's character. And it also established him and MJ's relationship to continue to grow past the point it was there. It also established Green Goblin firmly as Spider-Man's biggest villain. So there was a lot going on in these two issues alone that set the course for things in Spider-Man comics for the next 50 years. Right. Yeah, regardless of how you feel about the death of Gwen Stacy in regards to fridging, you can't really yeah. deny its importance to mm -hmm. Spider-Man and it's also just a really well done story too. I would like to chime in because my number three is not that, but it is the repercut or kind of like Peter reflecting on Gwen. And I went with Spider Man Blue. Ooh, okay. So do we, do we go back and forth with this then? Yeah, because it. I think you guys brought up a good point because I. I it, it is cringy. It, it is, and the fact being that. For a while, it was what it was a controversy at some points because one, not only did Jerry Conway do this without Stan Lee's approval, because he loved Gwen Stacy and he didn't want I'm her. Sure Stan Lee was like on vacation. Yeah, he was in Europe or something, and then he gets the notification that, oh hey, we just killed Gwen Stacy, and and what was it? But the thing too is, it affects him so much, and this is what Blue is a, it's pretty Spider Man Blue is all about. So he goes up in a basement, looks at a picture of Gwen Stacy, and just mem—it's just this whole memory of what life was with Gwen, and not only that, what life could have been. And 
it's such a well done story. It's written by Jeff Loeb and drawn by the great late Tim Sale as well. By God, it, it is such an amazing story. One of my favorite parts of it is at the end where you see Mary Jane standing up. And she doesn't even say regret. Goes in there and says, tell her I said hi to, that I miss her. Because not only did Gwen affect Peter's life, she also affected Mary Jane's. And yeah, and that, that's something I feel often too gets left out of these conversations about the death of Gwen Stacy is the impact on MJ. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of why at least I ascribe to Gwen Stacy's death feeling like fridging is because the focus is almost always on Peter and not on the greater ramifications of Gwen's death. And some comics do highlight the um effects on MJ but not all of them and fans by and large don't really tend to focus on the effects on mj um in a lot of comics you could get away with that but spider-man is very much a character built by his supporting cast exactly and so with him like it's funny that they did that with the one character you really can't afford to do that with you know, it does spark a good question, though. And the fact being that, like we said, Spider-Man Blue really shows that story of what life could have been with Gwen. Or what, you know, what life was like when he was with Gwen. After reading this, do you guys feel like he should have all, like, if they kept Gwen alive? Do you think he would have still been with her, or do you think he would have went to MJ? I feel like it depends on what they were going to do plot-wise if Gwen, if Gwen stayed alive. Um, because, like, Peter and MJ, like, I feel like Marvel editorial, and specifically Spider-Man editorial, has this, like, determination that Peter isn't allowed to be happy. <laughs> um... And so I feel like no matter what, it would not have been consistent. Um, it, I feel like it would have turned into sort of what we're seeing with Peter and MJ now, which I don't like. Um, I've expressed my opinion on the current run um, already, but um, I, I feel like editorial wouldn't have let it go where like stan lee and a lot of fans would want it to go um the current rallying cry for spider-man fans is like please stop breaking up peter and mj can we let peter progress can we let their relationship continue and calls to retire the character i have not seen that um People do not like this current run. I cannot blame them. I'm one of them, but I, I'm I'm in X Men land, so I'm not as focused on Spider Man run. But I'm just, I think I'm just chilling on my on my Daredevil island. That's fair. That's that's very fair. But I feel like even no matter no matter who he ended up with, whether it would be Gwen or MJ, um, there would have been that push and pull that editorial would have insisted on, and. I think in some ways he and Gwen are a little more suited for each other in a more egalitarian sense where we wouldn't so much have Peter sort of be like the lovesick, like stay at home husband for superstar Mary Jane Watson, um, which I love 
I love that Mary Jane is a star. I love that Peter is just kind of Peter. <laughs> I yeah. love the dynamic, but I also appreciate the ways in which Peter and Gwen sort of pushed each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like Peter, Gwen, and Harry had a really interesting dynamic that I'm not sure I've seen replicated with Peter, Harry, and MJ. Yeah. Um, so I feel like it, it fully depends on what plots they were going to do. Um, ultimately, it's another one of those what ifs. So yeah, I, I just realized I went on a huge tangent. I am so sorry. Well, that's why I was kind of glad he, Bryce brought up um, one twenty one or one is it one twenty and one twenty one or one twenty one and one twenty two. One twenty one and one twenty two, which that is one thing in story I'm not a fan of because in issue one twenty, Spider Man isn't even in New York; he's in Canada fighting the Hulk. And then they just switched him back to New York and went air. And yeah, the very next issue. It's one of those things. That's why I was glad you brought that up and I had Blue because Blue, that is like one of the saddest things. When you see him go up in that attic and look at a picture and just remember, you feel for him. You understand his feelings. And then that's when Mary Jane comes up and says straight up, hey, tell her I miss her too. And it, you as a, act, or, you know, a girlfriend at the time would reminiscing about your ex, you know tend to not like that but mary jane shows that she supports him too and that's why i feel like mary jane's the better couple for him that's because of that support mechanism she's always been the greatest support for peter still to this day in my eyes but yeah so bryce's was 121 and 122 mine was spider-man blue so i'm kind of glad we kind of fed off each other now we're going to go to number twos now everybody knows mine is craven's last hunt so i'm not even going to talk about it we've already discussed it Mary, what's your number two? So I went with Spectacular Spider-Man Volume 1. Um, again, J.M. Day Matthias. We're starting issue 178 through about issue 200. Um, no. Are you happy? <laughs> I mean, okay. I have not read that story myself, but I have I've heard like a re a recap of the story um so I, I, I at first I at first i thought about just sticking with the sixth issue the child within arc but that entire section of it um again my friend john wonderful amazing i love him he's fantastic he, he sent me a spider-man reading list ages ago and this was he he's a huge fan of the dematias run so he was like you need to read craven and he's like and then you need to read 178 to 200 and I couldn't just leave out <laughs> through 200 um just because it was so much it was so good um Demetrius is really good at creepy yeah. um which isn't a lot we don't get a lot of creepy spider-man anymore <laughs> I feel well, like I feel like <laughs> I feel like we've lost I feel like we've lost the creep factor inherent with an arachnid themed hero like I again I'm a horror enjoyer um I love creepy stuff <laughs> um I have on many occasions Brandon will be like oh I need some more indie racks and I'm like you won't like mine <laughs> yeah. I, I like horror so Demetrius Spider-Man is great for me um and I mean it's just so talking specifically about like the child within 
is vermin is such a compelling villain for me mm -hmm. i they're one of my favorite things about spider-man villains in general is the number of them that are so sympathetic it's you understand why they are like this and peter does too um and that's that's what gets them to me is the sort of you can't help but understand that what peter is fighting is the same thing that isn't it's not just the villain it's what's causing them to be like that he's the friendly neighborhood spider-man because he wants the betterment of the neighborhood it's not just he's going to stop the bad guy it's he wants to actually change the neighborhood and by neighborhood he means the city of new york in order to try to stop okay. what's causing all of this and that's what it's one of those things it makes you so compelling and vermin was just such a good villain for those of you who don't know um vermin is a creature that um is essentially kept at the ravenscroft mental institution being treated by dr ashley kafka um and he's terrified of her um in a distrust that's rooted in his past um, and he sort of escaped into the sewers to try to get away from the light of the surface world. And, but then he decides he doesn't want to hide anymore. And he starts lashing out at the rats that surround him. And then there's a young boy that's lost in the sewers that's trying to find its way home. And strikes a chord with vermin and it's just i don't want to spoil it oh my god you have to read it <laughs> this probably should have been my number one and i'm regretting that now <laughs> oh my god you need to read it you oh it's i, I, I again to start tracking down all of the single issues again the creep factor is off the charts and the so art accomplishes it to 200 right uh, 178 to 200 so the specific story I was just talking about is six issues and it starts in 178 um, but through 200 is just for fun <laughs> I was gonna say if I have the option between six issues of Spider-Man and 22 issues of Spider-Man I'm taking the 22 issues exactly that's why I put that's why I put the 22 <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah no it's fantastic it is so good um this was like the second story that I read. I basically looked through the the Matthias reading list that John gave me, and I was like, "Okay, oh, here we go." Oh, yeah. I was like, I googled them, and I was like, "Ooh, I don't know what vermin is, but I, I'm I'm cool for the creep factors." This was the second Spider-Man story I ever read. <laughs> the first one was Craven's last thought. The first one was Craven, and the second one was the Child Within. I'm so um, sorry that you got ringed in right with Craven's last thought. Of all books you could have gotten ringed into, you get into Craven's last thought. But there's nothing wrong with it. But it's something you read later on. <laughs> but it's, it's so good. That's why it's my number two for that reason with Craven's Last Sons. That's that good. And uh just this is just a general just read everything of Spider-Man that J.M. Day Matthias wrote. <laughs> <laughs> just, just read all of it. Now, Bryce, let's go to you. So I'm just gonna go ahead and knock your number one off the board. I know that right now. My number two is Ultimate Spider-Man. 
by Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley. This is early Spider-Man for a modern audience. That's essentially the pitch. It is set in its own universe with its own interpretations of characters. And it's just a fun time. Like Mary said, when Bendis is good, he is on top of the comic industry. And in the early 2000s at Marvel, Bendis was the best he'd ever been. So true. Between Daredevil and, of course, Ultimate Spider-Man, Bendis would, and Alias, Bendis was not missing. And Ultimate Spider-Man, in a lot of ways, is his magnum opus. It was also his end. He was an independent contractor. And when Marvel was trying to revive because they were bankrupt at this time. There is... They were struggling. Just like Mary says before, they were on the struggle train, ready just to jump off that train, file bankruptcy, everything, and they found this idea, which, granted, it's again, just like we talk about New 52, not everything in the Ultimates is great. It's... Spider-Man, though. <laughs> Spider-Man, though, was the bright... I don't know, I've heard Ultimatum's pretty good. We're gonna pretend that never happened. <laughs> uh, How'd you say that? Bryce, I'm gonna start na- renaming mine to you. You just made me go more insane just with that comment than 2099 did to me. So, um, if you're confused about all the 2099 jokes, please, please look at the Spider-Man Museum um, to listen to me get increasingly more manic sounding, and for Bryce and Brandon to be just losing it. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm glad you chose this one. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to keep my comments to myself and what my number one is. And I'll give my reasons why later. But before we jump to our number ones, let's talk about honorable mentions. So Mary, what were some of the honorable mentions you had on your list? Well, I I really had the one. Um, And we talked a little bit about this before um, we recorded this episode, but my number one is Amazing Spider-Man issues 96 through 98 from 1971. So these were some of the first issues that were published without the approval of the Comics Code Authority. This was a pretty controversial storyline. And it prefaces um, one of the most infamous slash famous um, DC storylines of a similar theme also from 1971. Um, And this is, of course, the Harry Osborn drug storyline. And I will admit, um, I I read this storyline for the sole reason that um, I was researching some Green Arrow stuff for Snowbirds Don't Fly, the DC storyline that is inspired in some ways by the Harry Osborn storyline. and I wanted to see the differences between the two. Um, ultimately, this became a honorable mention rather than making my list, despite its great importance, um, because I'm not fond of how they handle the issue. Um, I feel like O'Neill handles it a lot better, given his own personal ties to addiction recovery within his community. Um, but I can't not mention it um it's one of those most important storylines harry osborne is my favorite of spider-man's supporting cast um and i love stories that focus on him and i think this was a really interesting look at the character of harry osborne 
Um, and I'm also a little rebellious and I love stories that kind of are like, oh, the Commerce Code Authority says I can't do this? Hmm, too bad. Um, so I, it, it's up there for me. It just didn't quite make the list. It's sad too because of who helped create the Comics Authority, which was Stan Lee, of all people. Um, so let's go to Bryce. Bryce, what's some of your honorable mentions you have on your list? So I just have one honorable mention, and it is another Chip Zdarsky story, Spider-Man, Spider-Shadow. Yeah. This was a, I want to say, four or five, five-issue miniseries from 2019. Essentially, a, it's a, it was labeled as a what-if, and it's what if Spider-Man, Peter Parker, had kept the alien symbiote costume? How would things have turned out? And basically, he would have become a mass murderer. He did murder Hobgoblin. He almost murdered J. Jonah Jameson. This entire story is basically Peter Parker going on a violent rampage. And it is creepy. It is jarring. And overall, a subversion of expectations that, while not the deepest and most compelling story in the world, you put Spider-Man in the hands of Chip Zdarsky, you're going to get something enjoyable. So I have more than one. Um, one funny one, and yes, before I say it, it is actually real. So but I'm going to wait. to. So some of my other ones, I had Superior Spider-Man on my list. I had um, If This Be My Destiny, um, where we get the re revelation of Peter is finally admitting guilt that he is the one that killed Ben Parker or Uncle Ben. He admits his own faults to it. Um, Nothing Can Stop the Juggernaut is another great story. I love this story so much. It's fun. It's entertaining to see. So please go check this out. Um, Spider-Man, which is the first run, which is the first appearance of Miles and Peter meeting each other from different worlds, from the 616 and from the Ultimate Universe. And of course, you can never go wrong with Spider-Verse. But I'm telling fans right now, read Spider-Man comics before you jump into Spider-Verse. You need to know a little bit more about that before you jump in. Into the Spider-Verse did a really good job, but still you need to know some stuff. Here's my funny one. It's a what-if story. It's what if you became Spider-Man? And it's like a two-panel thing, I swear to God. And it's literally, what if you became Spider-Man? And the next panel is, you wouldn't. You would be dead. My cousin owns that. <laughs> what issue is that in? I can't remember the issue name, but I remember coming across it just once and it made me laugh so hard. It was just like, wow. Uh, my cousin, my cousin who um who owns this, he has he's a teacher um at my school and he has like a shrine to, to Spider-Man in his classroom. And he um oftentimes we have clubs and he runs a comic book writing club. And one of the things that he talks about the kids, he's like, what would happen if you were a superhero? Like, if you're stuck, try to picture yourself as one, and then he'll project this on the screen. It is such a funny, like, it throws you off, but it makes you laugh so hard. It, it's just one of those fun stories that they did for What If, and it was a really good question there. So That's fantastic. So we're going to go to our number one. So Mary, talk about your number one. 
Um, so probably no surprise for anyone who noticed what characters I picked in the Spider-Man Museum. Um, but I really like Amazing Spider-Man Volume 3 by Dan Slott. Um, some of my favorite characters are introduced in that run. Um, I love all the different things that he does with Spider-Verse. Mm -hmm. um, the Spider-Men of all these different Earths together. Um, it's really fascinating. Um, whatever he's doing with Cosmic Spider-Man is endlessly funny to me. Um, he doesn't exist for very long, but his existence and the constraints put on him and just the vagueness of the Enigma Forest, they're just, it compels me and I don't know why. Um, again, this should definitely be switched with something else on my list. My list is not in an order that makes sense, even to me. Um, but I... I, I really enjoy it. I think the art is fun. I think there's an amazing diversity of characters. We have so many spider people that react in so many different ways, have so many different origins that watching them interplay with each other is fascinating. Um, it's just good fun. It's, I wouldn't necessarily, I feel like if you're going to like just if you're willing to be a little confused when you start reading something I feel like when you're introducing people to comics they're like oh where's the easiest place to start and it's like well you you kind of have to be a little comfortable with some confusion um and I feel like if you're comfortable with a little confusion this will be a pretty good jumping in place um it's it's pretty good it's a lot of fun um highly recommend awesome all right, Bryce, what's your number one? So my number one is The Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 1, by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko. The originals. Which is Amazing Fantasy 15, Amazing Spider-Man issues 1 through 38, and annuals 1 and 2. Yeah. To me, Spider-Man was perfect from the beginning, and he hasn't been as perfect since. Fair enough. I, I, again, I'm a Steve Ditko apologist. I actually prefer him in a lot of ways to Jack Kirby. Um, you know, not to compare artists, they're both unique in their own ways. But you, you know, you hear about all those artists back then, people call Kirby the king as, as they should. But I really feel like Ditko is under some so much. And Spider Man is a prime example as to why. As I was saying earlier, you get 90% of his main supporting cast established. The character is defined from the jump. And so much of what we know that the character to be today was established in that run. And in my opinion, Spider-Man is one of the only characters where I would argue it is not only okay to start from the beginning, but that it is essential to read the beginning at some point absolutely and yeah, yeah it's my it's my favorite spider-man run that i've ever read and that's also why i'm so glad that um penguin random house now has that like 60s spider-man yeah. book um because that makes it so much more accessible for people that are looking to read yep. the first spider-man appearances Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they did just reprint the Omnibus. I know those are expensive for a lot of people. 
But if you are ever going to splurge on a comic and there are plenty of discount sites you can get it from for under $100, this is one that I would recommend. It's in my collection right now, so trust me. It is is one that I would recommend. It essentially started the Spider-Man obsession that continues to grow this library over over here to my left. I have two shelves dedicated just to Spider-Man Omnibus, and that's not even counting the trades and the single issues on another shelf. (laughs) <laughs> no that's so, my number one bryce already hinted to it it is ultimate spider-man um that whole run and that's why i didn't couldn't just put the ultimate spider-man the miles morales run of it because it's you have to read ultimate spider-man to understand what's about to happen and what's causing miles to take over so fans mary pitched a great pick i have that in this run here but read Ultimate Spider-Man before you jump into it because it does lead up to what's about to happen and how Miles takes over that role. Um, funny enough, um, the story teaches Peter is not, it pretty much he teaches Peter not to change who he is as a person, but to hold on to who he is, who he was in the first place. This is why I love this story because he's so relatable. He They make this, and granted, Peter Parker's always been relatable. But this Peter Parker is so relatable, it's unreal, and it's a lot more. And it it's like Bryce talked about it too. It revamps him to a modern world to understand this new audience, everything that happens. Um, again, granted, Ultimate Runs were overshadowed. Um, overshadowed this because of how bad the Ultimate Runs were, including one story that Bryce already mentioned, Ultimate. <laughs> the ultimate spider-man was the shining light of this um was a joke by the way before people in the comments start there is one scene i would like to pick from um, ultimatum that i enjoyed and this is j jonah jameson of course Uh, j jonah jameson in the story we really kind of find out why he hates spider-man so much and it's not because of spider-man he lost his son in a space shuttle accident and the fact being this is one of my favorite revamps of him is that people viewed him Spider-Man as a hero when really his son was a hero. And how can they not look at him as a hero, but look at Spider-Man as a hero? But he gets his answer in Ultimatum because this is when Magneto floods most of New York City and kill, almost kills he kills quite a few people, quite a bit of people in the process of I doing I support Magneto's wrongs. <laughs> but J. Jonah Jameson is still submerged underneath this water, but he's not affected by it. He's still in a building, but he sees why people view him as a hero. And the fact being that he was saving these people when all else has failed, he is still out there saving people. And that's why it's so good. Now, there's other things I love about this. Um, Venom's origin. I love his revamp here. I thought it was interesting that he's not just an alien symbiote. It was created by Eddie Brock's father for a way to research how to cure cancer. Um, Another thing I love about this, um, the death of Peter Parker. This was a really big thing when it came out. Um, Spider-Man going out the way he does against a final stand against Green Goblin and the Sinister Six. Um, He's already shot ahead and he takes out all these villains with the help of Human Torch and Iceman and he's the one that kills Norman Osborn. But in the process of that, he dies himself. And one of my favorite lines of this whole thing is his whole statement from the beginning. I couldn't save him. 
Uncle Ben, I couldn't save him, no matter what I did. But I saved you. I did it. And he says that right in front of Anthony and looks right at her before he takes his final breaths. This is such a great story because at that end of that story, you see him in heaven with Uncle Ben standing right there and saying, you did good, kid. It is so powerful to see this. Um, and again, not only that, you get to see kind of Peter Parker kind of goofy in this. It's not like he's typical seriousness. And he was goofy before, but he used it as a distraction technique. That's where you see it in movies nowadays. Um, Aunt May's not helpless in this series. She's a strong, independent woman. And that's what I love, too. I love this comic. I can't remember the comic exactly, but he does reveal his identity to Mary Jane. And it, that was just one whole issue. It wasn't even him fighting a villain. It was him telling how he's going to tell Mary Jane. And like we said, it does lead to Miles. There is so much Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley did for this that I enjoy so much. And this was actually my first comic of Spider-Man ever, was Ultimate Spider-Man number one. And for anybody who wants to get in this venture, you could buy them single volumes and get Power and Responsibility or buy the omnibuses, there's a lot of them. I, I recommend this whole series. I couldn't just choose one story from this. It is so great. If I had to choose one, start off at volume one and work yourself up because you're going to see what Bryce and I and Mary have seen with that whole series and how it grew. Um, but yeah, my number one is Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, but that does end this podcast. Um, as always, let us know what your favorite comic books are. Let us know what your favorite Spider-Man comics, arcs, runs, writers, Please don't say it's $20.99, and if it is, explain why down in those comments. Um, we want to see those comments. Um, as always, you can listen to Bryce, Mary, and myself on um, Comic Talkers. You can find us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook at Comic Talkers. You can also listen to the podcast anywhere on Spotify for podcasters, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Cast, YouTube, so many other platforms to get some great comic book and anime content. And as always, my name is Brandon. And I'm Mary. I'm Bryce. And remember, kids, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs>